If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn into a turn in turn in it to a book of the Bible that starts with J, but I promise I am not going to go to the book of Judges today. We've been there for 15 weeks. I'm really glad some of you came back this week after the end of Judges last week. But if you turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, and if you want to use the Bible in front of you, if you want to turn to page 896. You know, really, the, over the last thousand, actually probably more than that, as far back as the last 1,700 years, churches around the world and a variety of denominations have kind of set aside the weeks before Christmas to focus on the coming of Jesus. And we've used the word Advent. That's really the season this is described as. And, and the word Advent means coming or arriving. And the idea really has been, as this is kind of churches have thought about this, is to sort of set aside the four Sundays before Christmas as a time to kind of wait and anticipate the coming of Jesus like Simeon and Anna did in Luke 2. But it's also meant to be a time in which we sort of have the opportunity to recalibrate our souls because Jesus didn't just come once. He's coming again. And we need to, in that sense, we need to wait and anticipate that and be ready for it. Now, the Advent season with all of that probably raises some questions. Maybe the most obvious question is, why is it that Jesus came? Why did he come? Now, in asking that question, we maybe have some follow-up questions or connected questions. You know, why should we focus attention on Jesus and maybe related to that, what benefit is there to you and me to ponder his coming and to anticipate and wait for his second coming? Well, maybe the, the broad sort of big picture answer to all of those things would be to say that, you know what, if we take time to focus in on Jesus, maybe we'll learn some things about Jesus we need to learn, things that need to happen in our lives Maybe we also need to learn some more things about ourselves. Maybe a compact way of saying it is if we focus on his coming, maybe that'll underline for us why you and I need Jesus, why you and I should go and, in that sense, go tell it on the mountain, go tell other people about Jesus, and maybe it'll also underline for us why we need to worship Jesus, why we should praise him and extol him and exalt him. Now, to help us do that, to help us see our need of Jesus and, and really to realize, hey, we have a story to share about Jesus and why we should praise him. What we want to do from now through thanks, I was going to say through Thanksgiving, we've passed Thanksgiving, now through Christmas Eve, is we want to consider from Jesus' own mouth sort of his explanations for why he came. And so we're going to look at things in the Gospel of John where Jesus sort of either said, I have come or I came, sort of his explanation. And to get us started on that, we want to jump into John 10 and kind of look at, hey, why did he come? So in Jesus' own words, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said this, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, Jesus is clear. Here's why I came, Jesus said. I came so that you could have abundant life. Now, the question is, what exactly is an abundant life? 
Now, when you and I hear the word abundant, we may tend to think of it in terms of quantity. I've got to have a lot of things. I must have more. So if Jesus is coming to give us abundant lives. Maybe that means things like, well, we should have bigger houses or we should have bigger bank accounts or we should have more friends or we should have greater experiences and all those kinds of things. Well, those things are attractive and I understand why we want those things, but I'm not sure that's actually really what Jesus was talking about when he said, hey, I want to give you an abundant life. He said, well, why do you say it's not those things? Well, We'll talk about this a couple of different times this morning, but John 10 and the context of John 10 actually connects to some things in Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, let me just kind of point out some things that go from John 10 to Ezekiel 34. Let me read John 10, 1, and then the very beginning of John 10, 11. So John 10, 1, truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Now, the the scene of John 10, in essence, when Jesus begins to speak with them, he, he includes, he brings up bad shepherds or false shepherds. And then Jesus says, hey, there's false shepherds, but then I'm the good shepherd. I'm the true shepherd. He's kind of setting a contrast. Well, the truth is that's the exact same contrast that Ezekiel 34 does. You see, if you were to read Ezekiel 34, the first half of that chapter is God rebuking and dealing with bad shepherds. And then in verse 15 of Ezekiel 34, God makes the promise that he will be the shepherd. There are bad shepherds, false shepherds, but God says, I'm coming. And then in Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 16, God describes what he does as shepherd. What does he do? It says this, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Now, I think verse 16 there is actually giving us a description of what an abundant life looks like. The abundant life Jesus came to give. Now, let me unpack that, what I I mean by that, and see if we can apply that in our lives. So it starts with the Lord saying, I will seek the lost. Part of what you and I need to hear in that and need to see in that is that God finds value in you. God finds value in you. Part of the abundant life that Jesus is offering is for you and I to understand that we're valuable to God, that God finds value in finding us when we're lost. See, part of the valuable life, part of the abundant life that Jesus is offering us is a life that tells us we matter to God. Maybe that prayer request of that young man, T, is he doesn't feel valued by anybody. He's been told, this is who you are, and that's all your life is ever going to be. What we need to understand is, no, it's not. God says, you matter to me. That is part of the abundant life. Going from there, not only does he say, hey, I'll seek the lost, but God says, I'm going to bring back the stray. That really is a word picture of God moving to take people, to take people from being separated from him and bringing them, reconnecting them to him. 
See, part of the abundant life Jesus is offering us is a life in which we are rescued and redeemed by Jesus through his death and resurrection. And we begin to experience the abundant life when we repent of our sin and trust Jesus alone as our Savior. And then guess what? We're now a part of him. We belong to him. We're not strays. He brings us and he makes us part of his family. That's an amazing thing about what God does for us. An abundant life. He says, you're valuable. He says, you belong to me. I want you in my family. And then verse 16 goes on to say, hey, the Lord, the shepherd, he binds up the injured and he strengthens the weak. Those really are great descriptors of the transforming work that God does in the work of his, in the lives of his people. See, part of having an abundant life is, is being transformed. It's being restored now, I don't know, Paul never saw my sermon, but the prayer request with T, I want to go back there. This young man's been told all he's ever going to be is angry. I'm going to guess some of you have been told some things, some things in a sense have been tattooed on your life. This is all you will be. I want you to understand the abundant life Jesus is offering is saying, no, that's not true. Because I'm going to bind up the injured. I'm going to strengthen the weak. I'm going to transform you. That's the abundant life Jesus is offering. A life that literally we are transformed. And then at the end of the verse, after it being described that God is going to deal with the fat and the strong, and those would be those that were engaging and selfishly imbibing themselves, God's going to justice them, going to judge them. Then it says at the end of the verse that the Lord says he will feed injustice. He'll feed his sheep injustice. That really is a picture of the true shepherd leading and guiding his people in a way that is good, in a way that is right, in a way that is holy. See, the abundant life is a life God, we receive as God is our shepherd in which he is leading us as we're with him and he leads us to move and change our lives, bless our lives, and fill our lives. Now, that's what an abundant life is, but that may raise some questions. Why did Jesus bring that to us? Why does he think you and I need his help to live a life of flourishing? Why does he, what is it that he knows about life that we need something that we, we need to be given and not figure out on our own. Folks, I want you to consider with me two realities, two realities that I think John 10 points to that we need to understand so we realize, hey, what Jesus is offering is an amazing gift, and he's the only one that can give it to us. Reality number one about ourselves is this. We need a leader. Folks, you and I need a leader. Now, the, the big story of the Bible and the big story of history is you could describe it as being made up as sort of four major scenes, four major acts, right? Creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. And those four things, those four parts of the story of life impact us hugely. I want you to think with creation for, with me for a moment. The very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we are told that we are created in the image of God. 
Now, part of what that means is we were created to be in a relationship with God, and part of what it means is also we are to carry out responsibilities with and for God. Now, a fancy way of saying that is God has significant things for us to do. He's given us big responsibilities, but that relationship piece reminds us, hey, we're not the top dog in this race. We're not the top of the Christmas tree, so to speak, the king of the mountain. We're a vice regent. We're not the regent. By creation, you and I are never designed to be the leader. We're designed to be the vice regent, which means... You and I need a leader. Desperately, you and I need the true king because we're not the king. We're under him. But that's where things get tricky for us. See, there's not just the story of creation, the sort of the next sort of scene of all of the Bible, all of history is what we would call the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, it describes how humanity fell into sin. In short, through the suggestions and influence of the serpent, Adam and Eve began to doubt God, the one who is the true king, and they begin to doubt his word, what he says. And it kind of reaches a climax in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when it says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... Remember, this is the tree God said, don't eat from. But it looks really good. What did she do? She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse 6 kind of gives us the feeling that Eve is thinking, you know what? God might be holding out on me at this point. You know, maybe there's a better way to operate, and the better way to operate is almost as if, hey, God's putting something in the way of me. Maybe instead of God being the regent, if something better is, I need to climb the ladder. I need to be the regent. So Adam and Eve both eat of the apple. Well, apple, I was going to say apple. We don't know what it was an apple. We always blame the apple. It, it, I, yeah, I was going to say some other fruit, but I, I have no idea. It was a fruit, okay? They ate a fruit. They tried to go from being the vice region to the region. You say, well, how's that worked out? How's it gone trying to climb the ladder? Well, I think Jesus maybe gives us a great answer to that question in Matthew 9. In Matthew 9, 36, Matthew tells us what was going through the eyes of Jesus and really what he saw as he looked at humanity when it says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Notice this, like sheep without a shepherd. Vice regents trying to be the regent end up what? On the top of the world? No, they end up harassed and helpless. Folks, Jesus came to give us abundant lives because we're not capable. We're not designed to get them ourselves. We are designed to need a leader. We can't do it on our own. We need a leader who can take us to and lead us in abundant lives. Why did Jesus come? Because we desperately need a leader. Reality number two we need to think about is this. There's a lot of false leaders. There's a lot of false leaders. 
We probably need to go back to John 10 and think about its connection with Ezekiel 34. Flip with me. Well, my Bible is just over the page to John chapter 10 and verse 22 where it says this. At that time, so when this is happening, when Jesus is talking to the crowd in John 10, at that, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Now, the Feast of Dedication is probably better known to most of us as Hanukkah. Okay? And it was really meant to be a commemoration of Judas Maccabees recapturing and rededicating the temple in Jerusalem sometime around 165-ish B.C. Some of you are going to Google that now, and as you Google it, you will find some places will say 165, some will say 164. That's why I say 165-ish. Covers my bases in case someone jumps me on the way out the door. So, ish. In 167 B.C., the reason why they had to recapture and rededicate the temple was two years earlier, a Greek leader whose name is really hard for me to pronounce, Antichus IV, had decided, hey, I'm going to dedicate the temple in Jerusalem to Zeus, and I'm going to kill a sow. He's going to sacrifice a sow on the altar. Not exactly a good thing if you're Jewish. Not necessarily good in any way, shape, or form, regardless of your nationality or ethnic descent. So part, the Feast of Dedication, was meant to be a celebration of this great victory of getting the temple back to the way it should be, in a sense. But it also had lingering around it this this sense of, obviously, we've had leadership failures. So there's always around that celebration, this idea of what about leadership? What about who's going to guide it? Interestingly, Ezekiel chapter 34, the chapter that starts out with God dealing with bad leaders and then promising to be the shepherd, that chapter was a part of the liturgy of the feast of dedication. It's into that context, folks, that Jesus spoke. So into that context, that's what's buzzing around people's heads. John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus said this, this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Jesus starts his message, his sort of teaching moment in John 10 to talk about leaders. Specifically in verse 1, he's talking about false leaders. Although maybe instead of calling them false leaders, it would be better to say they're thieves and robbers. There are people who seek to brutalize and fleece the sheep. That idea, those words, that concept goes literally back to Ezekiel 34 because that's how God describes what the leaders of Israel were doing to the people. They were brutalizing them. They were fleecing them. And then you jump down to the first little bit of John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus is saying, let's be clear, this is the intent of false leaders. They're out to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And the way grammatically those actions are put together in compact fashion, it adds sort of emphasis. It's like highlighting. It's like putting exclamation points. Jesus is saying that's what they are coming to do. That's what they will do. A few moments ago, we said, we need a leader. We do. But here's part of the challenge. There are false leaders, and there are false leaders with evil and terrible intentions, which means if you and I, we need a leader, but if you and I follow the wrong leader, we're going to be in a terrible place. We're going to be devastated. Folks, Jesus came to give us abundant lives because not only do we need a leader, we need the right leader. We need the leader who can lead us to abundant lives. And Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. I can do that. These other leaders. It's not that they can't. On one hand, they can, but folks, they won't. They just want to lead us to destruction, to devastation, to leave us harassed and helpless. I'm going to guess at least one person in the room is a little bit skeptical. And we're in that season. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm getting a lot of text messages inviting me to political events. I must really be popular because all these political candidates want to meet me. Do you guys get this? I, okay, so it's not me. That's, uh, that was kind of what I figured since none of them have any idea who I am. But they, they make these claims, right? They make all these claims. So we could be a little skeptical and say, Jesus is making these claims, and it sounds pretty good, you know, an abundant life. That, that sounds pretty good. And, you know, we need to ask, you know, hey, you need to follow a leader, so should I follow Jesus? John 10, 11, the first few words, I am the good shepherd. And Jesus is saying he's a good shepherd. He's just told us there's a lot of false shepherds. But can you and I be confident that he's good? Is there any way that, you know, there's that expression, trust but verify? Can I trust but verify Jesus is good? Because, see, if I'm going to know the good shepherd, I've got to follow him. Well, let me make four observations that come out of John 10 that maybe help us know we can have confidence in Jesus. Observation number one, is he good? Well, observation number one, a good shepherd shows personal attention to his sheep. Look at John chapter 10, verse three with me. Jesus said these words, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, verse 3 is kind of a picture of a very crowded pen with sheep from several flocks. So there's a whole lot of different sheep in there that belong to different people. One of the things I kind of miss with getting older is our kids don't have like those Christmas concerts anymore. And you know, when you go to the Christmas concert and the kids do their thing and then afterwards you're supposed to try to collect your child and there's a bazillion kids... This is kind of that picture. And you're hoping when you call their name, they hear you. 
they'll come. Well, a good shepherd calls his sheep by name. It's that same picture. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to call your name. And not your name broadly, not you all name, but your name, you personally. It kind of reminds us of the word picture in, in Ezekiel 34, 16, that the, the Lord, the shepherd, seeks you. He calls you by name. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. That sounds like maybe he could be a good shepherd because he's interested in you. Observation number two, is he good? Well, the shepherd Jesus provides safety and security. Jump down to verse 9 with me, first words of verse 9. I am the door. Now, the imagery has changed pretty dramatically from, John, from verse 3. We've gone from a pen where there's all kinds of people to where it's, it's just simply a, a small enclosure where it's just the sheep of that shepherd. In those days, and I'm told still to some degree in the Middle East and in, in the nation of Israel, you'd find shepherds. They would have, when they'd be out with their sheep, they would have enclosures with walls and things that they could put their sheep in to protect them at night. And the only opening was sort of across the front. And in front of that opening, the shepherd would lay down. The shepherd would be the door or the gate, so to speak. It really was meant to say, look, I'm here to protect you. I'm here to make sure you're safe. Is Jesus good? Well, he's saying, look, I'm here to secure you. I will be here to save you, to protect you. Is Jesus good? Observation number three. Shepherd Jesus says he saves and provides. All of verse nine. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, this idea of Jesus being the door and saving the sheep in a lot of ways connects us back to that big story of the Bible of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. I mean, we said earlier that the, the fall basically just leaves us harassed and helpless. In essence, we're separated from God and we are in terrible shape. We need to be rescued. And what is Jesus telling us in verse 9? He's saying, look, I am the rescuer. I'm going to come and save you. I'm going to come and redeem you. Jesus uses the word picture of, you know, if we enter by Jesus and what he means by that. What he means by that is if we trust the Lord Jesus alone as our Savior, we look to him. He rescues us. You know, the, the Lord Shepherd promised in Ezekiel 34, 16 that he would bring his sheep back. He would save them. And that is exactly what John 10, 9 is describing. That's exactly what Jesus does. See, Jesus takes us from a place of harassment and helplessness and separation and brings us back into the security of his fold, of his leadership. He saves us. And then it talks about pasture, which really is a statement of his blessing and his commitment to provide for us, that we can go in and out safely, knowing our needs can be met. We'll have what we need. Is Jesus good? 
Well, he seems to have personal attention on us. He seems to say, look, I'm committed to keep you safe. He seems to say, look, I will save you and I'll provide for you. And then observation number four. Shepherd Jesus gave himself for us. You know, because of how needy sheep are and the fact that there are false shepherds who are really predators, the job of a shepherd is is tough. It, It requires a lot. Good shepherds, true shepherds need to be dedicated. They need to be courageous. They need to be vigilant. Vigilant. Get the word right. Vigilant. And you say, do those traits, does that describe who Jesus is? Well, John 10, 11 says this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Here's an amazing truth of the Bible and history. Jesus died for us. He laid down his life for us. He did that so you and I could receive an abundant life. Please, again, let me underline it. Jesus wants you and I to have abundant lives. But there's still more going on here. John 10, verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. It is true that Jesus laid down his life. He laid down his life for you, but that's not all Jesus did. In essence, verse 17 is telling us Jesus laid down his life so he could take it up again. He died so he could be resurrected. See, Jesus died so we could be rescued and redeemed. But Jesus rose again to lead us into abundant lives. He knows we need a leader. He rose again to lead us to abundant lives. We need a leader. We need a shepherd to guide us. God the Father knows that. So he gave Jesus authority to lay down his life, but he also gave him authority to take it back up, to take it up so that to lead us into abundant lives. Folks, the big story of the Bible, again, four parts, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Jesus took up his life again to bring the restoring work of God into our lives to bring quite literally the restoring work of God in everything, to put everything in its rightful place. That means to do things in our lives so we're in the right place, transformed, redeemed, restored. Jesus rose again so that we can be restored. We can be restored to live abundant lives. Jesus came because he alone can provide the abundant lives we need and he alone can lead us to live those abundant lives. So let me ask you, what are you going to do this week? What are you going to do with this abundant life thing as we wait for Christmas? 
Or maybe more broadly, what are you going to do with this abundant life thing as we anticipate his second coming, his coming again? Let me suggest to you maybe four things that you could do. One, are you going to trust him as your Savior and Lord? Are you going to depend upon him in that sense? I think he's given us ample reason why we should trust him. Are you going to? Second, are you going to follow him as your shepherd? It sure seems like he is the only shepherd that you and I can follow. He's the only one that can lead us to the abundant lives we need. Three, are we going to share his story with other people? I try to avoid malls, and especially this time of the year. But anywhere you go, you're surrounded. I'm surrounded. People are harassed and helpless. The only one that can get us out of that, get us to abundant lives, is Jesus. And then four, are we going to praise him? I think when we consider what he's offering us, there is no one more worthy of our ultimate praise and adoration than Jesus. Jesus came to give you an abundant life. What are you going to do with the incredible gift he is offering you? What are you going to do with it this week? Would you pray with me? Father, I am grateful to you for your amazing love and your amazing goodness to us. Father, we come to you in need. We come to you needing you to be our shepherd. You created us that way. That's not a deficiency. That's not something that it says bad. It just says we need you. And I pray today we would realize you want us to know the abundance of your love and your goodness. You want us to receive from you and to be led by you in the abundance of your goodness. Father, I pray you'd challenge us in that moment. I pray, Lord, as we go through this season of waiting and anticipating, it would be longing to truly know each day deeper and deeper in our souls the abundance, the abundance that you give us. May we be awed of Jesus today. In his very precious and powerful name we pray.